Lord, we just thank for this day. We thank for how much you love and care for us. We ask you to just guide us through your word that we're looking at today and help us to see what you would have us to see from this. In your son's name, amen. amen. Ezekiel chapter 31, starting at verse 1. And it came to pass in the 11th year of the third month of the first day of the month that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and unto his multitude, Whom are you the... Who are you like in your greatness? Behold, the Assyrians were, were a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches and with a shadowing shroud and a high stature, and his top was among the thick brows. The waters made him great and deep, set him on the high with her rivers running around about her, his plants and, and sent out her little rivers unto all the trees of the field. Therefore his height was exalted above all the trees of the field and his brows above were multiplied and his branches became long because of the multitude of the waters when he shot forth. All the fowls of heaven made their nest in his boughs and under his branches did all the beasts of the field bring forth their young and under his shadow dwelt all great nations. Thus was he fair in, in greatness and length of branches, for his root was by the great waters. The cedars of the garden of God could not hide him. The fir trees could, were not like his boughs, and the chestnut trees were not like his branches, nor any tree in the garden of God was like unto him in his beauty. I have made him fair by the multitude of his branches, so that all the trees of Eden that were in the garden of God envied him. So we're going to stop there because it's kind of an interesting picture here. Garden of God, yes. Um, most scholars, most scholars think that that's a reference to the Garden of Eden, and I don't agree with it that it's the Garden of Eden to begin with. So we'll get there when we get to that portion. Uh, so again, we have a time marker here, the 11th year, third month, first day, and we see this all through Ezekiel. He's given us a very specific time frames on here. And it says, Son of man, speak to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to his multitude. And so he's, he's only spent the last uh, two chapters speaking to Pharaoh, <laughs> and the previous two or three before that speaking to the king of Tyre. So, it's, uh, so now he's speaking directly to Pharaoh, and it says, who are you like in your greatness? And I think he's kind of making fun of Pharaoh at this point. You know, you think you're really great, then you know, who, who are you really like? You know, who, who, would, you, who would you like to make your comparison to? Uh, you know, and we see people doing this all the time. They've got to compare themselves to somebody. Uh, always have to sit there and compare themselves to somebody. And, you know, so his question is, you know, well, who do you think you like? Who do you, you know, you think you're so great? Basically, you think you're great. You think you're the, the, the top dog in this, in this environment. You know, who would you compare yourself? And then he goes on in verse 3 saying, Behold the Assyrians. Okay? Now, this may not mean as much to you as it does to me because I love history as much as I do, but these, the Assyrians were a mighty empire for almost 400 years. Uh, Damascus, the Assyrians, they, they ruled that whole area before Babylon took them over and says, hey, do you, you think you're so great? Do you think you are equal to the Assyrians? And in one sense, you might say Egypt would have been able to, the Pharaoh might have been able to say, well, of course I do. Our empire goes back a lot further. But they've waned and, and come and gone, and Assyria is the newest 
top dog in the, in the area right now. Uh, Syria has just been bumped off by Babylon at this point in time. And Assyria had pretty much uh, knocked Egypt out of its prime spot. So Pharaoh is, when he says, you know, you think you're so great, do you think you're as good as the Assyrians? And basically he's kind of rubbing it in your nose. They, they beat you just a few, <laughs> a couple hundred years ago. They beat you and knocked you out of your power. Pharaoh, do you, do you, do you think you're great? Are you as great as they are? And he says, the Assyrians were a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches and with a shadowing shroud and with a high stature, the top of his head among the thick brows. Now, cedar trees of Lebanon, back when they were historically there, there's not as many of them, but they were a huge, huge tree. They would be anywhere from 75 to 100 feet tall, you know, very much like our redwoods that we have, huge trees of great, great height. Uh, could reach up to 40 feet wide, and it says, okay, you know, you know, the Assyria was a cedar tree. Now, they were the power. They were the great, you know, you think you were great, they knocked you down, and this, you know, and he's saying they're, they're great, and now basically he's bringing in the fact that Nebuchadnezzar's come in and kind of knocked them down. And if you remember, if you read Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar was pictured as a tree that, that grew so large that all the nations, same, same words that Ezekiel tells us about, about Assyria, you know, was, was used for Babylon. All the nations dwelled in, under your shadow. You were the protected, you were the protective covering for them. And so we see the same language in here. And he says, you know, uh, Assyria was so great, the branches covered everything, the shadowing shroud, and this kind of is a funny word. It doesn't really uh, come across as what it is, but literally in the Hebrew, it's talking about the coloring that you have in the woods if you've ever been in the deep woods deep thick woods you get that greenish feel to it and everything is the shrouded there's a green light to everything and that's kind of what he's talking about your shadow covered everything there's light but your shadow's covering everything and it's wonderful i like the deep woods when you see this green filtered light through it uh they're finding it harder and harder to find these days but but uh this is what he's talking about. You, you, you overshad- they overshadowed everything. They're, they were high. They were, their tops of their trees inter- intertw- intertwined together and formed a great canopy. And he's saying, this was, this was Assyria. God's saying to the Pharaoh, you think you're, you think you're something. Uh, let's, let's see how you compare to, to the Assyrians. And kind of rubbing his nose in it, like I said, you know, because Assyria had defeated Egypt and put it in, them in their place. It says, the waters made him great and deep set him in, up on the high with her rivers running around about his plants and send out her little rivers unto all the fields in the trees, trees of the field, excuse me. And this talks about Assyria had the Tigris River that made, was its major flowing water with all the tributaries. And you know, especially here in Arizona, we don't really understand this whole idea of tributary uh, water, um, but for years, you know, when we founded our country, they wanted to find out where were the where did all these rivers that fed the Mississippi go to, and we sent all kinds of expeditions out to follow these little you know, these pretty good sized rivers that flowed into the Mississippi to find out where did they where were their headwaters. Uh, for a long time, the 
headwaters of the Nile were the, were the mystery because they couldn't get far enough into Africa to find out where the water started from. And, you know, man is very fascinated, I guess, with the discovery of where, where things start. And basically he said, you know, this, this river had all of its little tiny rivers going out. Ezekiel, back when we first started this <laughs> book long time ago, they were, we were talking about all the channels and everything at the Euphrates, how they'd cut channels all through the, the valleys and everything, and they called them rivers. They were, they were little channels that fed it. Uh, Northern California has a lot of those where they take the water from the rivers and yeah, Sacramento, that whole area, you know, in Northern California takes what rivers they do have and splits them up into fingers to, to water all the fields. And so he's kind of picturing this. He says, you know, they, they had plenty of water. They had lots of water. Their trees grew big. The, the water gave them the ways to transport their goods. Uh, they, they had plenty of water for their fields. They could transport their goods. They were, they were lush. And he's going, this is, this is the people that we're talking about. And Egypt, for some reason, never really did a lot of the channeling of the Nile. They would pump the water out into the fields, but it was only a few miles either side of the, of the Nile that were ever cultivated. They never ran channels, you know, like many of these other places in the, the Mesopotamian Valley would run channels and, and gain got reguide their rivers to feed all these things. Huh? Yeah, Clark and Lewis. Lewis and Clark. Yeah, they went they took the northern routes, but there were other groups. They were the most famous because they went all the way to the Pacific, but many of them they ran these channels. They were they were going, where do these come from? What's you know, where's all this water come from? <laughs> and Yeah, but man has been doing this for, for millennia, trying to find out where these big rivers start, where do they go to, where, they, where do they come from, and where do they go to. And so here God's making, you know, giving him a message. You think you're really good? You, know, you think you're great? You've got your big river, and, but you only use a little bit of it. And it says, your height was exceedingly, t above, was exalted above all the trees of the field, and his brows were multiplied, and his branches become long because of the multitude of the waters wherein he, was, he shot forth. So in other words, he's saying Assyria kept growing bigger. And one of the miraculous things about the cedars of Lebanon are sometimes they get as, as wide as they are tall, which is a pretty, pretty big uh, tree. Uh, most of the trees we see in our day and age aren't all that big. You know, we, don't, we don't see a lot of old growth trees anymore anyway. If you've been to some place where some old growth trees are, they're pretty amazing sometimes to see these. Here he's saying, you know, all of this is going forth, and their branches were really, you know, he spread out. And kind of praising Assyria, and Assyria was a mighty, mighty country, and God used, used Assyria to conquer the northern kingdoms of Israel, and God protected them. And then when they were too brutal to Israel, he took them down. And uh, so he's saying, you know, hey, Pharaoh, do you think you're as great as Assyria? <laughs> you know, you think, you, think you're, you think you're hot stuff. You know, I'm going to compare you to this country that, that used to be. Because <laughs> even Assyria is on its way out when he's making this comparison. 
Uh, but he's saying this is what they used to be. They used to be this way. He says, all the fowls of heaven made their nest under. They nurtured the world. Assyria was the one that nurtured the world. They fed the world. They, co they covered the world. They, they were the center of commerce. And after Assyria, you're going to have Babylon. Then you have the Medo-Persian Empire after that that pretty much were the center. Everything went through those countries. Then you had Greece, and everything was going through Greece. And then you had Rome, and Rome did a really good job taking care of the world because they made roads everywhere. We need to be very careful, and this is why it's important as we look at these things to see what exactly is being talked about. And a lot of this is tongue-in-cheek. You know, you think, Pharaoh, you think you were really that great? Yeah. You think you're that great? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just turn you and point to Assyria. You know, and he, already Assyria has fallen to Babylon. So he's telling Pharaoh, you know, we're going to compare you to Assyria, and Assyria has been knocked down by Babylon, who knocked you down. Yeah. So what are you talking so about? So you think you're really that special. So there's this whole little gaming going on, you know, in this, in this chapter as well. And it's talking about how big Assyria had gotten. And then verse 7, and thus was he fair in his greatness and the length of his branches and his root was, it, was by great water. So in other words, they had grown. They had grown powerful. And Assyria was very powerful in its day. So was Egypt very powerful in its day. And one of the things that happened to nations is as they're falling into decline, they like to remember the days when they were great. England. England's done the same thing. America, I think, is doing the same thing because we're, we are in decline and we're trying to remember the days when we were you know, the great <laughs> country. And nobody has yet stood up to say, I'm the new great country, but it's coming. It's just a matter of time. And here he's talking to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, you thought you were great, but you've already been replaced, and the country that replaced you is on decline, and Babylon's coming in. So there's this great tongue-in-cheek uh, picture going on. Verse 8, the cedars of the garden of God could not hide them. The fir trees on top of his brows, the chestnut trees were not like his branches, nor any of the trees in the garden of God was likened to him in his beauty. Okay, now this is really taking it to over the top. Okay, Pharaoh, you thought you, you know, we were comparing you to Assyria. Now let's talk about my, my, my places, my garden. I don't believe this is the Garden of Eden. I believe this is literally God saying, my garden, what I've created in heaven, my heavenly garden. Uh, this is, you know, you think you're so great, you know, Assyria thought that they were better than my stuff, and now, you, you know, he's really going tongue-in-cheek. He's taking it way over the top. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide him or the fir trees that were in his brow. The chestnuts were, that were in his branches, nor any tree in the garden of God that was likened to him in his beauty. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you read any commentary, almost every commentator says this is the garden of Eden that he's talking about. I'm going to go one step further on these trees that he's talking about. If we get to the end, of, I hope we get to the end of this chapter. I believe he's talking about Satan and the demons in the power and how, how great they thought they were. Because Satan had an envy that he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be in the throne seat of God and brought many of the, a third of the angels down with him. Because we're, later on he's going to talk about the trees were envious, envious of, of them. And uh, now I've not been able to find anybody else that agreed with me on any of my commentaries, so it's worth what it's worth. It's my opinion. Am I not understanding this? He's saying that Lebanon was greater than the trees in God's garden. That's what I'm saying. He's being very tongue-in-cheek here. Okay. All right. 
very tongue-in-cheek here. You thought you were so great. Because remember a couple chapters back, we were talking, he was given his curse on the king of Tyre, and then all of a sudden jumped into a, a tirade against Satan, who was the power behind the king of, of Tyre. So, uh, so you think he's already jumped over? I think he's already jumping over. He's, he's jumping beyond Assyria at this point and saying, okay, you thought you were great. Assyria thought they were great. Now we're going to talk about the power that's beyond, uh, beyond all of you. That's my opinion on this, and I have found no commentator that agrees. I think they're talking about the heavenlies where, God, where Satan rebelled against God and drew a third of the angels. Because I swear, because he talks about, again, go back three chapters, we talked about the fire stones and, and all of those which, which God talked about in, the, in his garden. And the, now, so this is one of two things, and I'm going to give you the other side of the coin on this that a lot of people will use, a lot of theologians and commentators use. They will say that we know so little about the Garden of Eden that Ezekiel is bringing out a greater depth of what the Garden of Eden was like. Okay, and I'm going to throw that out to you. That's what most commentators say. Yeah, but it's never been called the Garden of God anywhere else. Nowhere else. Yeah. And later on he says Eden in here, so they kind of they join the two together. Uh, that is what, and if you want to believe that, you're on safe ground, because most of the commentators are going to believe that. I just don't buy it. It doesn't sound... It doesn't ring true to me as I look at this. Well, garden is garden, and you know, they, they garden, you know it's an enclosed area. Uh, Eden is, though, is a very specific garden that God created. And so, yeah, in verse 8, we're getting this kind of picture of God is really kind of making fun of Pharaoh at this point, you know. Uh, now let's take you to the next thing. You know, Assyria thought they were better than, than everything. And again, I think he's slipping into the same thing that happened in Ezekiel 28, when he slipped from Tyre to Satan. And I think he's saying, Pharaoh, you thought you were great. Assyria thought they were great, but here's the power behind. And he thought he was great. And that's what I see in this. This is another picture of Satan in it. I'm not going to strong stand on that one because I've never read anybody else who sees that, but I'm seeing a picture of God slipping behind and talking about Satan at this point. Satan thought he was the greatest in the garden, that nothing could hide him, and that he was the that there was nothing like unto his beauty. And take that for what it is. It's my opinion. And it's, and it's worth whatever my opinion's worth. <laughs> Which isn't a whole lot. Uh, says he says, I, made him fair, I have made him fair by the multitude of his branches of all the trees of Eden that were in the garden of God envied him. And this is why one of the places where I think we're talking about the Satan and his demonic forces. They're, they're in envy of God and of Satan because he was in rebellion. Whose narrative is this? Who's, who's saying that? Well, Ezekiel is giving the word of God to Pharaoh at this point in time. Yeah, read the very first verse. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, say unto Pharaoh. Yeah, if they use this verse to say they're talking about the Garden of Eden, but what it says is the trees that were in the Garden of God. So my Bible has the word were in the word. Yeah. I tell us all. Yeah, when you read the italic words, they're not, they're not in the original language. They were there to help us understand it. You've got to be careful with those italic words when you see them. And a lot of the newer versions of the King James aren't putting things in italics anymore, which bothers me because it was a key, key that it wasn't originally there. Uh, but again, this whole picture of God saying that he's either doing a, he's doing a number of things. He's being kind of tongue-in-cheek to Pharaoh, saying, you thought you were so, you, you were so great. But I do see this as a, you know, as a 
play on, on, de on Satan and the demons. Um, and again, it's worth what it's worth, which is just my words. <laughs> Pray and see where God teaches you about it. <laughs> because I was struggling with this. I've been spent trying to figure out for a while what, what are these trees, trees that he's talking about? What's the trees of garden? Uh, what's the garden of God? And and all of this. And and I was reading the whole chapter, praying about it. And then all of a sudden, I'm going, "This is this is Satan and his demons." So that's my what was given to me for what it's worth. All right, verse 10. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because you have lifted up yourself in height and you have, have shot up his top among the thick brows and if his heart is lifted up into his height, I have therefore delivered him into the hand of the mighty one of the heathen. He shall surely deal with him. I have driven him out of his, for his wickedness and the strangers, the terrible terror of, na of nations have cut him off and have left him upon the mountain in all the valleys of, and his branches are, are fallen and his brows are broken by all the rivers of the land and all the people of the earth are gone down from his shadow and have left him. Upon his ruin shall all the fowl of the heaven remain and all the beasts of the field shall be upon his branches to the end that none of the trees of the waters exalt themselves in their height, neither sh shoot up their top among the thick brows, neither there stands, stand in their height all the drink, uh, the drink water, for they are all delivered unto death, so that the nether parts of the earth in the midst of the children of man shall go with them, shall go down into the pit. Thus saith the Lord God, in the day that he went down to the grave, I caused a mourning, I covered the deep for him, I restrained the floods thereof, and the great waters were stayed, and I caused Lebanon to mourn for him, and all the trees of the field fainted for him. I made the nations to shake at the sound of his fall till I cast him down to hell with them that descended into the pit and all the trees of Eden, the choice and the best of Lebanon, all the drink water shall be comforted in the nether parts of the earth. They also went down into hell with him and, into, and unto them that were slain with the sword and they that were his arm that dwelt under his shadow in the midst of the heathen. All right, so we're going to kind of look at this again. I see... I'm seeing something different than I've not read any commentator say anything about this or read anything about this, but I see God talking about Satan and his fall. This is what it sounds like to me. And it sounds also predictive as far as the in, in days. Um, and again, as I've read this I've, and looked at the commentators, I see nothing of them talking about this. And it is kind of sketchy because he keeps going back to Lebanon. He keeps going back to Lebanon, and that's the part that bothers me about it, because it's not a real clear, but he did that with Tyre when he was talking about Satan and his fall. Uh, he says, Thus said the Lord God, because you have lifted up yourself in height and have shot up his top among the thick brows, and his heart is lifted up in his height. And again, I just see the picture of Satan lifting himself up to God, because this is the context, the context of the trees of, of God and everything. I just... To me, I see this being Satan lifting himself up. Well, kings lift themselves up amongst the world. The empires, you know, and this is why he starts out talking about Pharaoh and Assyria. But I think he's done this, exactly what he's done in, in, in chapter 28 when he was talking about King Tyre and all of a sudden jumped to Satan. I think we've done the same thing. We started with Assyria, mighty, com mighty, mighty empire, thought that they were lived in their pride, and then all of a sudden he, I think he slips into Satan and says... Going to the power behind them more than anything else, and 
Because this is what we've got to understand. In all that goes on in this world, there's God and there's Satan. And Satan is the power behind all that goes on in the, in, negatively in this world. All of this chaos that's going on in our country, Satan is the power behind it. Now, I'm not saying he's possessed anybody, but he's whispering in people's ears and playing the pieces. And this is why when you step back from what you see going on, you see a much larger battle plan and game going on than when you just look at one little, little battlefield. And the problem we have so often is we get so stuck in the one little battlefield that we forget the whole grand strategy going on. Mired in the details of minutia, what's important to you that you totally miss what's going on in the grand scheme of things. Oh, it's a huge battle going on. And Satan's got huge pieces and, and plays here in our country and in other countries. And, and then as a whole world, he's got all kinds of plans and, and play, pieces in play. Oh, it's much more than a chess game even. Because we can't see all of what it is because there's the physical and the spiritual powers that are in play. And so we can't even begin to see all of what's going on in, in the play. We just see little bits and we see how awful they are and then we kind of tie together some pieces. But you've got Satan up above everything. You know, he's playing a chess game, per se, but, but for us in our, in, in our world, we can't see all, the what's, all, the, all that's going on. We just see the little tiny battles we're involved in. And you know, if you want to take it to a physical world, it's the general sitting at the, at the strategy camp with the entire map laid out of him and of the whole world with all the pieces laying out, or the captain or, the, the, or colonel who's just running their little piece of the battle. So I think, we're, I think we're seeing a picture of Satan. Satan's exalting himself. He says, then he says, I have delivered you into the hand of the mighty one of the heathen, and he shall surely deal with you as I have driven him out for his wickedness, and this is, this is kind of going back to Assyria. Assyria was, was wiped out for its evilness and its wickedness. But Satan also was driven out of heaven. He was driven out of heaven by the true terror of nations, God. God cast him out of heaven, and a third of the demons, a third of the angels went with him. So I think we're still kind of mixed pictures here. Uh, the strangers and strangers and the terror of nature have cut, nations have cut him off and left him upon the mountains and the valleys and his branches are fallen and his brows are broken by the river and the land and all the people of the earth are gone down from under his shadow and have left him. And again, we see this picture of Satan's defeat, coming defeat, or actually has been defeated. He was defeated by Jesus at the cross and he's still trying to battle. And one of the things, if you study history, battles don't usually end, you know, one battle doesn't end a war. The war is long over and the battles still keep going after the, after the war has been won and uh, until all the places get the word. And it says, upon his ruin shall the fowls of the heaven remain and all the beasts of the field shall be in his branches to, that, to the end that none of them of all the trees of the waters exalt themselves for their height, neither shoot up their tops Neither their tree stand or drink water. Basically says, when he's defeated, all the others are not going to stand up. And this is where we know we've left Assyria. Because Assyria was defeated and Babylon raised itself up. 
Babylon fell, was defeated, and Medo, by the Medo-Persian Empire, and, and they raised themselves up. Then, then uh, Alexander the Great came along and raised himself up, and then the Caesars came up and raised themselves up. And then when uh, Rome was disappeared, all the different little city-states raised themselves up. So we know that this is not talking about Lebanon at this point. But when Satan is put in his place, no demon is going to try to take over from his place. You know, because it's like none of them think they're greater than he is. And this is where we're still now talking future on this one. Because Jesus defeated Satan at the cross, but he's still battling hard to try to defeat God. And why he's trying to battle, I don't know. He lost. He lost at the cross, but he's still working on trying to defeat God's plan, which is why Israel is always in so much trouble because Satan knows one thing. The Bible is about Israel and God ruling out of Jerusalem. So why do you determine that? Well, why, would, why wouldn't he? Because if he can defeat Israel, if he can take and annihilate all of Israeli Jewish lineage out of this world, then the rest of the Bible can't come true. That's a strange, strange question, but I wonder how come he doesn't understand that there was all used to be Why does any dictator keep fighting when, they, when, they, when it's obvious that they've lost? Pride, I guess. Pride uh, arrogance, that somehow I'm smarter than everybody else and I will find a way even though it appears that I've lost, I will find a way to win. Satan is, I've been defeated at the cross. He's taken back, he's taken back dominion of this world, but I'm going, to, I'm going to defeat him. Somehow I'm going to defeat him. And again, we look at history. How many dictators have been beaten? You know, they're, they're beaten. They have no army. They're down to one city, and they're still fighting for all that they have because they think they're stronger than the enemy against them. Uh, Hitler fought and fought and fought until they had him in his little bunker then there was no place else to go and he ended up shooting himself rather than surrendering or somebody shot him anyway <laughs> this is just the way dictators and, and oppressors are they will continue to fight even when all odds are against them because megalomaniacs they think they're smarter than everybody else they think they're better than everybody else they think they're that they're going to be able to win the battle when it comes down to it, which is why Satan is, is out to destroy Israel, the Jews. Because if he can wipe out the Jews, the 144,000 Jews will not exist to, to fulfill the scripture. There won't be a, a third temple. There won't be Jewish remnant. So his goal is if I can wipe out all the Jews, then I can prove that God's a liar and that he didn't know what he was talking about. And that's been his goal. His goal before Jesus was born to wipe out the Jews so that the Messiah would not be born. Okay, and that's why the Jews have been the focal point of Satan's attack ever since they came into existence. Because everything about the Bible says that they're the focal point. The Messiah was going to come from them. The, 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 the New Jerusalem is going to be their, their, their home. Everything about it is if they can destroy them, he can prove that God is not all-powerful and all-knowing. And so that makes them his target completely. Thus saith the Lord, in the day that he went down to the grave, I, I caused a mourning, I covered the pit for him, I restrained the flood thereof and the great waters to, to stay. And I caused Lebanon to mourn for him and all the trees of the field fainted for him. 
I think here we're seeing God's heart. And I've said this before, when God sends people to hell, that, which is what they've desired, it is still going to break his heart. He loves people. And to send them to hell is not what he's looking to do. His desire is that none would go to hell. I believe that he loved the angels to that degree as well. And when Satan rebelled and fell against them, there was a breaking of his heart even there. I created these beings and they rebelled against me. Whatever that meant for the angels to rebel against him, we don't know. They have free will. At one point they did. At some point in history or their history, they had free will to make a decision. We right now have a free will to make a decision. Once we die and leave this world, we will be living for eternity in our decision. So we will be like the angels. And I, I kind of picture that maybe there was a world before that the angels lived in that, or a spiritual world or whatever, and they had a chance to, to say yes or no, and they, a third of them said no. And then they reach their end, and they're stuck with their decisions. They were deceived more or less. All I know is it's obvious that the angels had a free will at one point, and they don't now. We have a free will right now, and we won't in our glorified bodies. So the angels just do what God says now? They're his servants and do exactly what he says, just as we will do when we reach heaven, and we will do what we're told, told to do. Now, we'll enjoy doing it. It was our choice. It's what we wanted. And it'll be a great blessing and all of that. And I'm sure the angels feel the same way. We get everything we're going to get by grace. Because the most important thing we can ever come down to understanding is that everything we get is by God's grace. When he gives us blessings, it is by his grace. It is what, he, what we allow him to do through us. And this is, I've said this over and over, I love God's plan. He does the work, I get paid. All I have to do is say, God, I'm going to let you do what you want with through me. And he says, okay, good. Your flesh is crucified. Nothing there. I'm going, to, I'm going to do the work. And then rewards us for what he does. God's absolute grace. And if we're understanding that it's all by grace, then we can't get proud about anything that we've done or even hurt by what we didn't do. It's an amazing thing to know that it's all by grace and it's all by his mercy that we have anything. I mean, we look at death as being this terrible thing, but for God, his children have come home. It's not as awful to God as it is to us. It's awful to the people who remain. It's awful to the people who really, truly don't understand that death is just entering, entering into the presence of God and that we're going to join them if we're his ch children. You know, and, but the, pro the process is, do we truly believe that our home is in heaven? And if we truly believe our home is in, and I don't mean truly believe it, then, then we know that when we lose a lost, a, a, a family member or a loved one who is saved, they went home and that we're going to join them. But it says in this verse 16, the nations will, sh I made the nations to shake at the sound of his fall, the fall of Lucifer. And there's also a picture in Revelation that when he falls, people are astonished. When he stands before God, people look at Satan and says, is this the one that caused us to tremble? Is this the one that brought all this chaos? Kind of a pick, wonderful, wonder what Satan really looks like, you know, with, with all of his sound and, and fury. Uh, the Wizard of Oz movie where the, where the wizard has all these things and it says, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Pay attention to all the flim-flam. Satan is good at flim-flam and making people think that he's greater than he is. 
And it says, he cast him down into hell with those that descend. And all the trees of Eden, the choice and best trees, best of Lebanon, all that drink water shall be comforted in the nether parts of the world or the, or the grave, literally the grave. And it says, they also went down to hell with him unto them that were slain of the sword and, them, and they that were his arm and dwelt under the shadow of the midst of, his, of it. And again, I just see Satan. This whole section to me is a picture of Satan you know, for, for what it's worth. Uh, in the last two verses, to, to whom are you thus like in glory and in greatness among the trees of Eden? Yet shall, they, uh, shall you be brought down with the trees of Eden unto the nether parts of the earth, that you shall lie in the midst of the uncircumcised with them to be slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh and his multitude, says the Lord God. So this last little tag on in the end, he's talking back to Pharaoh again. Okay, Pharaoh, who, who do you think you're great? You know, we started with Assyria, we went to Satan. You know, who, who do you think you're greater than? You know, who, who was it that you wanted to say you were, you were like? You will be just like them. You will be brought down and you will be cast into the, the pit. You will, be, you will be laid down by the sword. And he goes at the very end, this is Pharaoh and his multitude, says the Lord. So he's basically saying, Pharaoh, you thought you were so great. You know, we started with, with Syria. We went to the demons. And who, who did you say you were like again? Yeah. You know, God likes to do this to even us in our day. You know, who do you think you are? You think you're so great? Let me... Let, let's take a look at who, you know, let's, let's take a look at these people you think you are really great. Yeah, yeah. You, who, you thought these people were great? I brought them down. You thought this person was great? I brought them down. In our day it would be, you, know, you, think, you, were, you think you're as great as Hitler was with his great, great kingdom? You think you're as great as the, you know, Stalin or you know, Mao Zedong, you know, and you know, all these different people? And he goes, well, I brought them down. And here he is telling Pharaoh, you've got your hope in the wrong places. You've got your hope in your eyes looking at the wrong places. And we've got to be very careful that we always keep our eyes on God. Keep our eyes focused on God and not what others. Even, even in, in a Christian sense, you know, get your eyes focused on some great pastor and say, I want to be like that pastor. Well, no, you want to be whatever God wants you to be. And this is something that pastors do this a lot of times. They go, well, they start judging themselves by other pastors, and this person's got such a great ministry, and this one's got such a great ministry, and, and God says, I've got you where I want you to be. You're being who I want you to be. Keep your eyes focused on me. And for our lives, we need to keep them focused on God and say, God, what is it you want me to do? I can't be like somebody else. Nobody can be like me. Nobody else can be... You know, we can look at them and say, I want to follow them like they're following God, but not to be like them, because who knows where they're at with what's going on. We want to keep our eyes focused on God and be who he wants us to be, because that's all he asks. He's not asking us all to be Billy Graham. And if he was, a lot of the world would never get evangelized, because Billy Graham doesn't meet all the world. He's not asking us to be all David Livingstones going to the deepest, darkest Africa to mission, to. to to preach to the, to the you know, uh, tribes. He's not trying to tell us to all be you know, any other person you might think of. We're all to be who God wants us to be and reach the people he wants us to reach. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. And Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this picture that you've given of your power and dominion and that you want us to 
be always looking at you and help those who don't know you to turn to you, to recognize their sin and to turn to you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.